Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, and I am your host every second Monday of the month. Today we will be speaking with Dr. Julie Briley, co-founder of the Food as Medicine Institute at the National College of Natural Medicine. Improving our health through changing the way we eat has been in the news from the recent USDA update on dietary guidelines to the PBS airing of Michael Pollan's In Defense of Food, in which he reminds us to eat food, mostly plants, not too much. But right here in Portland, Oregon, there is an institute dedicated to just that and giving people the hands-on experience of changing the way we eat through cooking classes and symposiums and special events. The Food is Medicine Institute at the National College of Natural Medicine, the oldest naturopathic medical college in the United States, offering graduate programs in naturopathic and Chinese medicine, integrative medicine research, integrative mental health, global health, and nutrition. Dr. Julie Briley is a naturopathic physician, educator, and, as I said, co-founder of the Food is Medicine Institute. The Food is Medicine Institute is dedicated to educating people that a plant-focused, whole foods diet is a key to health. It aims to foster a healthier relationship between food and the community's relationship to food. Dr. Briley teaches in the Food as Medicine Institute in the Food as Medicine Everyday Program, which we'll talk about later, as well as the Masters of Science of Nutrition Program. She also practices as a naturopathic as a naturopathic physician at Azula Wellness Center in downtown Portland. She's a popular speaker in Portland's thriving health and food culture community. Dr. Briley, welcome to Health Watch, and thank you for coming down to the studio. Thank you so much, Ellen. It's really great to be here. So lots happening. This past week, as I said, the United States Department of Agriculture issued these new dietary guidelines, which sounds like a positive step moving forward in guiding the public towards healthier eating, less sugar. We should only have 10% of that in our daily diet, which equals, I think, one can of (laughs) Coca-Cola if you're drinking that, hopefully not, and less saturated fat. But uh, Mary Nessel, who is the Paulette Goddard professor in the Department of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University, and is a a great contributor to the conversation about food and health, said uh, per CBS News that there's something missing in the message. And actually, the junk food industries should consider these guidelines a win because there's no direct messaging in these guidelines that says, don't eat junk food, don't eat processed food, don't eat so much meat, and don't drink soda. So I know that the Food is Medicine Institute addresses just these questions and these problems that people face. So I'd like you to just start by telling us a little bit about it and, and how you're going about uh, helping people change the way they eat. Sure. So I think it is important that policies change and that there is that top-down approach. But I think, you know, where the Food is Medicine Institute and where the FAME series really hits home is that we're working with individuals and families. So regardless of policy changes, it still is right Right now up to individuals to make the decision when they're going to the grocery store or ordering out at a restaurant, for example. So that's where our work takes place is in the community and teaching people the skills that they need, the nutrition knowledge that they need so that they make the best decision that they can. So I know that in 2010, the, the, the seeds of this was the Ending Childhood Obesity Project, which I was very enthusiastic about and know that you really touched a lot of families and that was through uh, generous um, funding through Bob Bob Moore of Bob's Red Mill 
And so talk to us about what the Food is Medicine Every Day program, which came out of that, is. Sure. Like, it, how long is it? Mm-hmm. What do people do? What do they learn in that Perfect. program? yeah. So you're right. In 2010, the National College of Natural Medicine received a very generous donation from Bob and Charlie Moore of Bob's Red Mill. Basically, they learned about a naturopathic physician's training in using food as medicine both to prevent disease and treat disease. So it was a great partnership. Um, for us to create a community-based program to actually go out into the community and share our naturopathic nutrition knowledge. So yes, initially we created the ECHO Project, Ending Childhood Ending Childhood Obesity, which morphed into the Food as Medicine Everyday series. Um, basically, we aren't a obesity prevention or treatment program. We are working with everyday families across all walks of life um, in different locations with diverse communities and teaching them these skills. Um, so currently, the FAME series, Food as Medicine Everyday, is a 12-week program and we meet weekly for 90 minutes. It is led by a naturopathic physician, which allows us to get to that um, deeper information about how nutrition and food choice affects our health and our disease process. Um, Each week in class, we have a different nutrition topic that builds upon the week before, um, and we make and create a meal every week that we then enjoy as a community at the end of class. So that makes learning about changing the way we eat a a real experience that people have together in community. Well, it's what's missing. I mean, there's a you can find nutrition knowledge anywhere online in books, but until you actually go to a class and make kale chips or um, put dark leafy greens in a soup or um, learn how to make homemade chili, um, it's very hard for someone to actually go home and do that. Right. And I remember in the Ending Childhood Obesity Project, you were in uh, churches, you were in schools, you were in um, a supermarket, weren't you, out in Banks, Oregon? Mm-hmm. Yes, we are still out in Banks, Oregon, a rural community um, about 25 miles uh, west of downtown Portland. And one of the local grocery stores said, you know, we want to bring in more quote-unquote health food, but we aren't sure if the people will buy it. And in that community, people were actually driving into Portland to get their health food, and so they were hoping to shift what was on their shelves. So we came in and said, hey, why don't we educate your customers base so they know how to use these foods and in turn will purchase them from your store. And so it's been a really great model where um, you know what we know about educational programs is that if you're not changing access to food as well, you may not be actually um, helping people make sustainable changes. So and, yeah, so and that went pretty well out there, didn't it? It was the Thriftway, was yes, it? Yes, it's the Jim's Thriftway and you know them reporting back to us is that they have increased their sales of produce which they've been monitoring. They're bringing in more organic produce. They're bringing in things like flaxseed and healthier oils and they've even wanted to use some of our fame recipes in their deli. So it truly has been a great model for us in terms of affecting change in a small town. Oh, that's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you're also at a, a Coffee Creek Correctional Facility as well, right? Correct. We have had a grant to work um, with the at the Women's Correctional Facility in Wilsonville, Oregon. Um, these are women who are in minimum security prison, so they will be going home to their families, and they want this information. They need this information. They're becoming sicker while incarcerated. Um, the diet that they're fed is, um, you know, 
less than optimal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, initially when we started teaching these women, we thought, you know, we would be affecting them for when they were released, you know, addressing when you go home, you can do this, you can do that. And and here are some skills. But what we actually found was the women were making changes while incarcerated. So making better choices in their cafeteria, making better choices um, through the food that they were able to purchase. Um, In addition, at Coffee Creek, they have a community garden. Mm -hmm. Um, It's beautiful. They they produce more organic produce than probably any of the community gardens here in Portland. So um, it's probably been one of our best um, examples of a farm to table fame class, which is not in a place you would uh, think. So it's been amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So when people come into the Food is Medicine Every Day program, what are the challenges that you see that people are facing? That's a great question. I think it's very different for the populations that we're working with. Um, I can speak to a couple. Uh, The classes that we teach in Charlie's Kitchen at the National College of Natural Medicine um, tend to be people of a higher level of education and nutrition knowledge. Um, But when they come to class, they are still lacking the skills that they need to actually make the changes. So they may know everything about grass-fed beef and and pasture-raised eggs and and how to soak their beans and grains, but they haven't ever done it. And so those classes tend to focus on more of the kitchen skills, um, where for a different population, they really may not know how to read a food label yet or even understand the difference between a protein, a carb, or a fat, for example. So I think the beauty of our program is that it's very adaptable to the different populations, and we, and we learn pretty quickly what that, what that group needs, and, and we're able to hopefully address that. And are people coming into those classes with specific health issues, or they're coming because their physician said, hey, you need to eat better, or their naturopathic physician said, hey, go to this class? So what are the health conditions that people are coming in there with as well? Sure. So I think um, a lot of people are coming in with uh, blood sugar dysregulation. So um, like pre-diabetic yep. or diabetic? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we started a FAME research study recently for people with pre-diabetes and the effect of the FAME series on that population, oh, um, which is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also autoimmune disease, uh, heart disease, uh, auto uh, cancer Mm. all walks of life. So mm. I would say it's it's quite a wide variety. And of course, we're not asking for that information when people come in. I mean, regardless of what disease you might have or what your health goals are, I mean, everybody needs to be eating more whole foods. Absolutely. So if you just tuned in, I'm. this is Health Watch on KBOO. And today we're speaking with Dr. Julie Briley, naturopathic physician and co-founder of the Food as Medicine Institute at the National College of Natural Medicine here in Portland. So um, I know that you talk a lot about in the, in the program, you have s- skills where you're, th- there are a lot of different kinds of skills people need. I mean, there's a skill of, okay, this is a squash, a winter squash, and mm-hmm. we can eat this and we can eat the skin if it's organic, et cetera. Um, this is how you cook rice. This is how you cook beans. But I know in your program, you also spend quite a bit of time talking about food labels. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just wondering, could you talk about that a little bit and, mm-hmm. and how you, why you do that and, and how it's beneficial to people? Uh, 
we do think that food label reading is probably one of the most important skills you can have. Um, when you walk into the grocery store these days, just about every food item will have a food label on it. Um, of course, we want to aim towards the foods that don't have labels on it, and those are going to be primarily whole foods. So your fruits and vegetables, your your meats, your uh, bakery items, your bulk grains and beans, for example. Um, but other than that, everything will have a food label, and it's pretty complicated. Um, it, there's a lot of deceiving information that can be on a food label. And what we found is that a lot of people will tend to look at the nutrition facts section of the label first, which is where all the numbers and percentages are. But when you're initially screening a food product for nutrition information, that's not going to tell you what's in the food. So we use a different approach to food label reading where we have people look directly at the ingredient list. That's going to give you the best information about how processed that food is. Um, so we talk about looking at the length of the ingredient list and reading it and making sure everything's a recognizable food item. Right. They say if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it, right? You got it. So <laughs> that's what we're teaching and, and telling people get away from the calories, get away from the percentages for now. There is some useful information on there, but you know, there's a big difference between two peanut butters that might have the same nutrition fact information, but one has added sugar and trans fats in it, um, might have the same, you know, grams of protein that one that is just peanuts. So you're really telling people read the label to see what the food is that's in this food. You got it. And so what do you, I mean, I have an idea, but can you share with our listeners what they need to stay away from besides those unpronounceable things that are in foods? Sure. So I think um, a couple big ones. One is trans fats. Um, and can you tell us what trans fats sure. are? Sure. So trans fats are a man-made fat. They've basically taken a fat or an oil and chemically changed it so that it is very shelf stable, which is really great for packaged and processed foods, but not so great for our health. Um, we know that the FDA has made changes so that trans fats will be removed from foods, but that's going to take several years. So for now, the only way to know for sure is to look at that ingredient list and look for the word partially hydrogenated oils. The tricky part comes in when um, when you're just looking at the nutrition facts section. It can still say zero grams of trans fats if it has less than 0.5 grams per serving. And so, if you, again, if you're just looking at that nutrition fact area, it might say zero. You think you're good, but if you go to that ingredient list, if you see partially hydrogenated oils, it still has trans fats in it. So can you just educate our listeners a little bit and tell them why these aren't so good for us? Yeah, so these are, like I said, they're not a whole food, so they're not naturally occurring, and they are linked to heart disease. Trans fats are linked to Alzheimer's disease. So basically, they can harm our brain and our heart, and they really don't have a place in a whole foods diet. So, but we need fat. We, our brain likes fat, our bodies like fat, our nervous systems like fat. So what should people look for in terms, because also fat is very satisfying too. Mm -hmm. It helps you feel just calmer. It keeps you mm -hmm. warmer in the winter and all of that. So what, what kinds of fats could people look for to include in their diet? So, you know, we, we try to say stick, stay away from Use this, not that. Okay. Um, so instead, we try to think of a principle that would work. And when you think of whole foods, think of foods that are naturally high in fat that may be lightly processed into an oil. 
um, or a fat that you can cook with. So things like butter, things like um, unrefined coconut oil, unrefined avocado oil, um, even some of the nut oils that are higher in fat. So when you think of something like an olive, for example, an olive is a naturally fatty food. So all you have to do is squish that olive one time and you can get this beautiful oil from it. Compare that to something like uh, corn. You don't think of corn as a naturally fatty food, but yet here we are processing it into corn oil. So to me, that's not a whole food fat where some of these other ones, avocados, avocado, coconut, um, butter, olive are uh, less processed whole fat oils that you can use right for. but you can also eat the whole avocado have Absolutely. have the nuts yeah themselves. technically you don't have to use an oil okay yeah. so what about fats in in dairy products for instance a lot of people have some degree of lactose intolerance um, how do you deal with with that yeah so dairies um, can be a little more complicated because there are people who don't digest dairy um, there's lactose intolerance there's a dairy allergy a dairy sensitivity if you do tolerate dairy fine then the fats in dairy are great and we would recommend using whole dairy products um, as opposed to low fat or no fat dairy products again that is a whole food it has not been processed us to remove anything from it. Right. So, but it's tricky. Now we're getting into the sugar part of this whole thing. Because when you said, you know, eating the whole, the whole fat of the Mm -hmm. dairy, you know, and then you go to the yogurt section, which is, oh my gosh, it's like a candy store, you know, you get these, of course, they've made smaller containers of yogurt now. So there's like four ounces. Yeah, Yeah, it's less. And there's 28 grams of sugar in it, which is equal to seven teaspoons of sugar. And you're trying to imagine putting seven teaspoons of sugar in this little thing of yogurt. So and and then, of course, it's zero percent fat or one percent fat. So, okay. Yeah, let's let's yogurt's help our- a big one. Uh, this is one we talk about in class starting on day one because um, everybody and it's not anybody's fault that they think yogurt is a healthy food. I mean, we were told it was a healthy food, um, and that's because of the probiotics in yes, it and the lactobacillus. Protein, great protein snack, and that's all true. But yes, the sweetened yogurts, one with added sugar in it, um, it's a lot of added sugar, almost as much as a Coca Cola. Like you said, it's like a candy. Um, so yogurt is still good. Absolutely. Um, you just have to get unsweetened yogurt. And if you like it sweet, that's okay too. You can add um, chopped fresh fruit to it or frozen fruit to it. And if you really like it sweet, add one teaspoon of raw honey or maple syrup to it or a little bit of stevia, for example. There's no way you would add the amount of sugar that the uh, food industry is adding. Like you said, you wouldn't add seven tablespoons of honey to your yogurt. It just wouldn't taste good. So I think there's these are the tricks and the skills that can really shift your diet, but you're not making gigantic changes. Small changes can have a huge impact. Absolutely. So this, just like we need fat, we also do need sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a flavor from our perspective in Chinese medicine. It's calming, it's harmonizing, it's nourishing. It, it helps us in many, many ways. So What are some ways that people can get sweet in their life that is satisfying? We know that uh, like chocolate sweet is satisfying because of the fat and the caffeine and Mm -hmm. all of that aspect. So, you know, when when people are trying to change and cut back on their sugar, but they still are craving that sweet, what kinds of recommendations would you make at, at the Food is Medicine Institute? Well, the good thing is that nature produces a very abundant source of uh, whole food sweet 
foods, mm-hmm. um, all of the fruits. I mean, that's that's an easy one to think of. But we can also think of uh, vegetables that are more sweet. So carrots and sweet potatoes and bell peppers, uh, foods like that, sugar snap peas. Those are all naturally sweet, but you're getting fiber and all those amazing vitamins and minerals. I would also look at spices. I mean, adding cinnamon um, and ginger and, and, and spices like that can warm you and, and sweeten your food. Um, so I think, you know, there's a, there's a lot we can do with, with whole food sources of sweetness. And also probably using nut butters with some sweetener Absolutely. in it and a little cacao or something to kind of give yeah. you that satisfaction without the heavy, you heavy hitting it. dose. So add some protein and fat to that naturally sweet food and you have a nice, complete, whole whole balanced snack right there. Or yeah, meal. yeah. And what about stevia? Because stevia is, um, you know, out there a lot. And mm-hmm. um, it's a sweetener. What's what's the news on stevia on mm-hmm. its benefit and on when it's too much, etc.? So stevia comes from a plant. It's the leaf of a plant, and it has a chemical in it that tastes sweet on our taste bud. It has a glycoside in it. Um, So it is a whole food because it comes from a plant and we don't process it. And in South America, they use it quite readily. Um, When I was in the Peace Corps in Paraguay, uh, we were just picking the stevia leaves right off the plant, adding it to mate, for example. Um, Here in the United States, we've now taken the leaf of that plant, and it has been processed either into a powder or you'll find liquid stevia. You can get all sorts of flavored liquid stevia. So it's a fine line on um, still encouraging all that sweetness in your food. You can still create extra cravings for sugar just by having a lot of sweet tasting food in the diet. Stevia doesn't spike our blood sugar like regular sugar so there's that benefit and it's not an artificial sweetener so it's not a chemical um, that can be harmful to us Um, so I think it's okay if you're using it every once in a while um, and making sure you're getting the less processed forms of stevia. Right. So we're really talking about balance here and getting a a broad variety of foods. So it's not just, oh, I need sugar sweet all the time, which people seem to get through refined carbohydrates and and Mm -hmm. sugar, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to um, the Food is Medicine Every Day um, program and the the skills that people are getting, they're getting, you know, they're able to read food labels and understand um, just, you know, beneficial foods, some cooking skills. Um, A lot of people talk about, you know, the challenge of time. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I read somewhere recently that people spend more time watching cooking shows in the United (gasps) States than they do cooking, you know. And I I know just from my cooking, you you put together a quick meal that's really healthy and yummy Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I'm just wondering how you address this challenge, because it's real. People are super busy, overscheduled, work late, et cetera. Absolutely. I think we try to approach that through two different ways. One is that, like you said, we're trying to show that you can create a simple, healthy, whole foods meal in not a lot of time. And we do that by actually making it in class and having that experience of saying, oh, it didn't take that long to make this meal. I could do that at home versus, you know, looking online, finding a recipe and thinking, oh, no, I don't have time to do that. So I think the the hands-on part of it and the way that we've chosen the recipes are so that you're learning a skill that you can use in several different areas. And then I think the second thing we're trying to address is 
we do have to slow down a little bit. We do have to create more time for food and cooking. Um, you know, our pace of life here in the United States is so, so fast. And food became quick and fast and cheap. And that became the norm. So we do kind of have to reverse a little bit and go back to the times when we were creating a big meal on Sunday that we can use leftovers or planning our meals ahead of time. Um, you know, letting things cook in the crock pot while you're at work. Um, there are strategies to make it go fast, but at the same time, you know, this is worth your time. This is your health. Um, and this is the number one thing you can do that can affect your health that you have control over. So yes, we can make it as quick as possible, but you likely will have to put a little more time into it. <laughs> a little bit, just a little just bit. Just a little, <laughs> but little the, changes. Right. Yeah. I know that um, on another show I, I did, I interviewed one of your participants, so I can mention her name because she, Patricia yeah. Warren. Oh, I love her. Yes. <laughs> and she just was a complete convert and she <laughs> lost an enormous amount of weight. Her cholesterol went down, her mm -hmm. blood sugars went down, and she actually uh, promoted it at her organization. It's a Delta Theta Sigma. Is that it? June Key Delta Center. But June, yes, I think that's the June name of the Key. sorority. Yeah, it's a, the oldest African-American women's mm -hmm. sorority in, in the country. And they have had programs there, et cetera. So, you know, it, it's great to see people's, the after effect, mm -hmm. you know. She just felt like she was a different person when it was all complete. Yes, I think, you know, when people say, wow, that's a 12-week program. That is so long. How do people commit to that? Shouldn't you shorten the class? And we've heard that for the last five years. And, you know, it every time by week 12, people are saying, I can't believe it's over. What am I going to do now? I want to come back. Can we have more classes? And people have. They've repeated the class several times. So this is lifelong, um, and we, we want those converts. And they they will have to revisit and continue to learn and practice and shop and cook and do everything. It's not like, okay, you're done after you, after right. you take this class. We it's always just have the beginning. And you always have to eat dinner. So you always have to eat dinner. Why not eat it with a bunch of people and have a good Absolutely. time? Absolutely. So tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. What what what's upcoming? I know you have some upcoming classes and you have a symposium coming up here. So let us our listeners know how they can participate. Sure. So we are in our third year of doing our annual symposium. It's the Food as Medicine Symposium. It's coming up on Saturday, February 13th. Basically, we are inviting everyone. We are inviting the public, um, anyone who wants to come to the symposium. It's a one-day event, and we have some amazing speakers this year. We have Sally Fallon coming to do a seminar. Um, she's the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. We also have um, Joe Robinson, who has, she's a local author of Eating on the Wild Side. She'll be speaking to the public. And then also Deanna Minich um, is coming to speak as well. So in order to find out about that, you can come to the website. It's foodasmedicineinstitute.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page where we regularly give updates on events. Um, and you can also email me directly if you have questions. And what's your email address so people can reach you? Doctor, so Dr. Julie Briley, my name, at gmail.com is a great way if you have some questions. That's B-R-I-L-E-Y. B-R-I-L-E-Y. Uh-huh. 
And then also our fame series. So the very series we've been talking about during this program, um, it is it goes on every single quarter. So our next series will be starting in April, and you'll find that information on our website as well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Julie Brawley, for being with us here today on Health Watch. I hope it's everyone out there is, is all fired up about <laughs> uh, getting some support. And so please do check out the Food is Med- Medicine Institute. Again, we've been speaking with Dr. Julie Brawley, naturopathic physician and co-founder of the Food is Medicine Institute at the National College of Natural Medicine here in Portland, Oregon. You have been listening to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host, and tune in next month on Monday, February 8th, when I'll be speaking with Wolfram Alderson, who's the executive director of the Institute of Responsible Nutrition, uh, uh, created by Dr. Robert Lustig, on the impact of sugar and what it has, the impact that it has on our health. Thank you again. <music>